as we started on this series, we started with a thought. What does it look like when we as Christians start to focus our attention in our lives completely into Jesus? Not holding anything back, not, not letting anything in our lives be withheld from Christ. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as Paul writes it. He says that this is our way that we can be holy and pleasing to God. It, it takes us back to that wilderness temple where God told them how they were to sacrifice, how it was to be set apart, how it was to be pleasing to him. Paul writes that this is how we find ourselves holy and pleasing to God, is that we go all in with God, not withholding. Last week we talked about when we all do that together, we start to see God show up as we become one as a family. As we become that community that we've talked about, when you and I start to use our gifts together, we become a group of people that really show his greatness. What does it look like when you and I begin to use our gifts and listen to people around us and meet their needs? Because you can do things, you're gifted in ways that I will never be. And so you're needed. Today we're going to talk about what does it look like? What is the outcome of when you and I start to use our gifts? What does the world see in us? And it's perhaps the hardest thing for the world to see in us today, but the most needed of all things. In verse 9 of Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this, Let love do this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. But this is what he says next. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Uh, pursue hospitality. Do you see it yet? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. And don't be wise in your own estimation. We get this movement of what it looks like when Jesus' church starts to use their gifts. And they start to point their lives towards something. All of a sudden, in you and I, when we start to do this, the world starts to see a different outcome. They start to see us living differently. When love shows up, love changes everything. The problem with love is this. We are living in a time where love is defined however people so choose. And that is simply not how God moves. This is what will separate you as a believer and a lost world. Make no mistake you are supposed to be peculiar. You are supposed to be different. When you pursue after Jesus Christ, you have to have his definitions and not the world's definitions. You are called to live differently. You are to be alien in nature because you have been bought with a price. We just talked about it with the Lord's Supper. Because of Jesus Christ, you were moved from being ordinary into unordinary. You're removed from being one of the crowd to being one of Jesus's. And when we do this, we start to look and act differently than the world does. 
we're starting to look more like Christ. And Christ was persecuted, and he said that those who follow after him will be done the same way. So why is it that the church is defining everything the way the world is? The reason is this, we've forgotten who we belong to. We do justice the way Jesus does justice. We act the way that Jesus acts. We understand the way Jesus called us to understand. What he's given us in the truth of his word, we have to hold on to. Because if we don't, we look like the world, and the world has a definite end. The world as it sits today, the world is looking at demise. But those in Christ are looking heavenly word. That's a weird, I just made that up, heavenly word. Anyways, our eyes are focused on heaven. Our intentions are on him. Our lives are based upon Christ. So when the world defines love as anything it wants, we declare that's not right. Here's what love is defined as. Even God defines himself as love. So anything that's contrary to him is not love. So we got to show up somehow. When the church starts to begin, when it really starts to roll forward, we start to see love for what it is. So I'm going to give you a quick moment. I want you to look at three verses with me in Scripture. And I want you to just write down what God says to you in it. So it's three passages of Scripture dealing with love. And if you'll notice, in your notes, it has the Scripture reference and then a blank. Because I believe it's important that you, as the body of Christ, starts to see what love really is. The first is this, 1 John 4, 16. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to look, and I just want you to write there in that blank what God says to you about love in this passage. And we have come to know and believe that uh, the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. You ready for the next one? Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this, And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend upon these two commands. I'm going to read it once more to you. Take your time to write in. What is God saying about love in this passage? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Here's the last one. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commander summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. One more time. Do not owe anything to anyone 
or anything except to love one another. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, or any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. In 2013, uh, they were every year doing statistical data on Scripture. It's one of the things that the Bible scholars that put together our Bibles do. And in 2013, something shifted. In 2013, the most recited scripture up to 2013 was John 3.16. For God so loved the world, right? Gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not simply perish but have eternal life. That was the number one most memorized scripture until 2013. In 2013, it became Philippians 4.6. Cast all your cares upon him. We have traded our love of God for our worries. We have traded the love of God for our personal thoughts. We have traded the love of God for our human condition. So why is it that we're astounded that we live in 2019 today and all we see is a world that's consumed with itself? That's who we are. When did we lose our love of God loving us so much he would send his son for us? When did it stop being captivating? When did we quit writing it upon the tablet of our hearts? Now listen, all scripture is God-breathed. That also means that Philippians 4, 6 is God-breathed. But why is it that we traded out the memorization of the greatest gift ever given for the worries that we possess? I believe when we take our eyes off of the love of God in Jesus— our worries will come first. We will shift our attention to what bothers us, what's consumed us, and we'll take our eyes off of a Jesus who willfully dies for us so that we may have life in God. That's why love is so big. We have been loved so richly. That's why we can love people. That's why we can love people we don't like because we have been loved when we weren't likable. We didn't have what it took years back, a group of us guys went to Falls Creek, Oklahoma for the men's retreat. While we were there, I get a text from my wife who says, are you okay if I buy a dog? Now, I don't know what you would say. I, I told my staff, it's, it's where like Della and Sharon and I part ways. There's a fork in the road in our relationship there. I'm not an animal person. I can live life animal free. Call it PETA in me. I don't know what it is. I can live animal free. But my wife loves animals. She is not a dog owner. She is owned by our dog. Some of y'all know that. Y'all, y'all, I can see the heads going, well, yeah, that's how it works. You don't adopt a dog, they adopt you. No, you don't. You buy them. They're animals. Anyways, um, I digress. So we're driving back, and April says, do you care if I buy a dog? What that means really in April language is, I bought a dog. (laughs) Right? Y'all with me so far? And so I'm like, great, yes, please. And then she sent me the picture of the dog. It looked like if you took a mop and you used it a lot and then you left it wet outside and it molded. It looks like that. She sent me a picture. Got it. 
And I went, ha! Oh. Is that a is that a dog? Came back and it still looked like that. And and I've learned this. I grew up and we had a dog in the backyard. And when you talk to the dog, you'd say, Hey dog, because I'm a dog owner. Those of y'all that are dog family members, you talk to dogs like this, what are you doing? <laughs> See? Y'all know it's you, right? Y'all are now owned by dogs. Um, so we get home, and there's that moving mop, and she's going, look at you, little dog. And I'm going, what are you doing? Like, it's a do- I think it's a dog. So we got this dog's haircut. And the first time we got it cut, we were like, uh. Because we didn't know what kind of dog it was. I wasn't still sure it was a dog. Could have been a long hair rat for all I know. I, we get it cut, and I'm like, it, you ever seen kids that take junior high pictures for yearbooks? Early junior high? You know, y'all know what I'm talking about, where they get that one haircut that their mom loved, but they didn't? And they take the picture, and you're like, oh, wow. That was that dog until we got its right haircut. I mean, every time you looked at it, you're like, ah, ah. Should we set a trap? I mean, I'm feeding this thing, but I'm not sure. So we finally go get this dog's haircut and discovered it was like this little tiny miniature dog version of a big dog. And we get it cut and we're like, wow, that's what that dog really is. It's a, it's a miniature schnauzer. Look at that. That was the worst dog ever. She wouldn't mind you. We, we got this doggy door built into the back of our house that she could go through the window to get out. Except she didn't realize it could lock. So when we came home, she would see us and just bang. And I'm like, that's how you get rid of a dog. Uh, so you'd have to go and lock it. I mean, it, it was just something. Some of us are living our Christian life not knowing who we are. We've gotten every possible spiritual haircut we could. We've tried every kind of religious version that we could find. We've done everything we could do to look the part, and it just isn't working. We're awkward. We want to act like Jesus. We just don't know how to do it. Because we've tried to look like Pastor Kyle, and he jacks us up. We, we've tried this church, and they just, you know how they act? They're weird. And then you, you show up to this Bible study, and it doesn't go the way you thought, and it's just not fitting. And so instead of learning from Jesus, you leave the faith. That's where this generation of Christianity is going. All these young leaders who have pursued everything they could of Jesus, and at the end of the road have discovered they don't look like him. And so any definition of anything that's better then Jesus, they're going to go pursue and leave the faith. I will tell you this. I don't know of one disciple who sat at that table that night with Jesus to take the, the Passover meal that wasn't changed by it. Every single one of them, including Judas, was changed by that night. Every single one of them was completely whipped by this. And so you got to capture something. When you and I have encounters with Christ and they're real, it's going to change you. And if it doesn't, you have encountered a church, 
a Bible study, and emotion, and those things will pass away. A teacher will leave the church at some point. A Bible study will end. And at the end of it, our emotions will change. But Jesus is a constant. And his church will show forth love. If it doesn't, it isn't his. Period. When Paul writes to the Romans, he's writing a group of people that are persecuted for their faith all the time. And he's writing them, encouraging them to keep going. In the midst of knowing it may be their last day to worship him, in a terrible situation, when they gather together, it could be the end of their lives, their, their wife's lives, their children's lives, their friends' lives, their parents' lives. It could cost them everything. He encourages them to show forth Jesus, to give their bodies as living sacrifices, to use their gifts boldly, and to show forth love in all situations. It wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't as easy as we got it. We're blessed. But let's not use our blessing to not show forth Jesus. So let me give you what I see from the passage. The first is this, if we really believe in love, love is the key. It is the key to spiritual growth and gospel connection. Love is the key to spiritual growth and gospel connection. You want to grow in your faith? Look at the love of Christ. Fall in love with that love and show it to others. It will grow you spiritually and what's more is it will advance the gospel of Jesus. You want to know how to share the story of Jesus? Falling in love with the lost people. Ask God to show you a people group, even if it means our church has got to send you overseas to do it. I'm just convinced of this. I believe the gospel is not preached in places where there isn't love. So your workplace will never hear the gospel until you fall in love with it. Your family will never hear you share the gospel until you fall in love with them. Because if we truly love people, we would be desperate for them not to go to hell. If we don't love them, we could care less. It's what love does. I brought with me today a, a quarter. Every so often at sporting events, you'll see them do this, where they flip a coin. They'll say, heads is heads, and Minnesota is tails. And they'll flip it, and they'll say, what'd you choose? And they go, Minnesota, and they go, no, it was heads. You're a loser. Leave. Um, what they do is they do heads and tails. And this is how love works. Hatred of evil is the other side of love, the same coin. But if we don't learn to hate evil in our lives, we will never pursue love. We have to have both in our lives. We have to run from it. We have to move from it because evil wants to consume you and your family. He wants to ruin your walk with the Lord, and he wants you to stop talking about him. But love does just the opposite. We've got to learn how to run from evil, to hate it desperately, and to run from it with all of our lives. You know, as we read this passage, we see that as this church began to move, it said to love one another deeply, uh, to outdo one another in showing love, to not lack any diligence and zeal. And then it starts to give us amazing thoughts of what it looks like in community. We should be known in our community as people who take care of each other. 
That should be what we're known for. If anything that our community could see what the church at Quail Creek could be, it would be this. All I know is that those people take care of them, their own. They don't let anybody go without being taken care of. You know what we're really bad about, I believe? Talking about where we need help. And here's the other thing. I have a confession to give to you. I am, I am probably not very merciful. It's something I pray all the time from my heart. As a minister, especially starting out in my early ministry, I was the only full-time staffer at my church. Which meant I got the every door knock of somebody needing something that came through town. And so at first I gave everybody everything. If they came through and said they needed gas, I got them gas. They said they needed a meal, I gave them a meal. If they needed a dollar, I found a dollar somewhere. And that was all fine and good until it happened every day. Until I saw the same people come back for the same reason but with a different story. And my heart grew, my heart just grew hard. I became a kind of person that when somebody walked in the door, I was more like, I guess, guarded than warm. I didn't know them. I didn't know anything about them. And so they're coming in telling me a story I heard last week from a different guy. Everybody's got a grandmother in the hospital. Everybody's driving from, from Phoenix um, to Florida to go see a family member. Everybody's got some story and it just kind of over time became something I was like, I don't know you. And I don't know if you're telling me the truth or not. And I grew hard. And I, I've told my staff this before. I, I'm probably not the person that people need to come to because I'm so skeptical. But every so often it just happens. Someone walks in the door and, and I can just see that God's telling me to help this person. It happens at Walmart every once in a while. Or at the gas station. Where I just, I can't even help myself. It's just instinctive. It happens in places we eat at. And I'm not making a list so you'll applaud me. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm probably the most broken. can't tell you the number of times I tell people no. What I'll say is this. Maybe we should be known as different than that. What if we lost this building because we were giving so much away? Would y'all be okay with that? Would you be okay with not being able to go into your life group room because we gave people groceries? Would you be okay with not having the lights and the sound system because we put gas in people's tanks? I bet you would if it was for you or your family. The hardship is this. Love should be without hypocrisy. We should not lack any diligence in zeal, but to be fervent in the spirit. Y'all may not have needed that, but I know I did. What we do in our walk is worth doing with full force. I, I'm convinced of this, that we love to pursue Christ when things are good, we pray more when things are bad. And we complain the most when nothing happens. At what point should we stop praising God? At what point in the Bible does it say it's okay to quit 
searching for him and pursuing him. Because I haven't read it. If anything, Job reminds me that when times are bad, I should be pursuing God and thanking him. If anything, we should be mindful of when things don't go our way, that Jonah tells us that it's always God's will and we should be thankful for it. And if anything, Psalms teaches us that we should praise God in any season because he's worthy. We should be pursuing our faithful force because he's worthy of it. The problem with faith is this. Faith is the understanding of how big you think God really is. You can measure a man's faith by his understanding of God. If you believe that God is a sometimes person, your faith will be sometimes. If you believe that God is a cosmic killjoy, you will live your spiritual life out in fear. But if you see God like Jesus taught you to, you will see him like a father who disciplines and loves equally and wants you to become like him and not the world. I, uh, I know I've told you guys this before, but our family sacrifices so that my kids can go to a Christian school. And I, I grew up a public school kid all my life. Never once went to private school, ever. But I didn't grow up like this world is. I can remember going to football practice and guys showing up in trucks with guns in the back of their windows. It didn't scare anybody. We were thankful for it. It meant if there was a rattlesnake on the practice field at football, the snake was dead. I can remember that happening more than once. Coach saying, who's got a shotgun? And a kid running to his car to get one. We didn't grow up like our kids are. You see, when I was growing up, I had gay friends. You did too. Let's be honest. We knew who they were and we loved them. We would be around them. We would talk to them. But it wasn't a fanfare thing. They just lived differently than we did. Our kids are living in a world now where it's celebrated. And heterosexuality is being considered dull. Our kids are being taught a reversal of history. It saddens my heart. They're also being taught that our forefathers were all bad people. And so we sacrifice as a family. I don't think it makes my kids better than your kids. I want you to know that. I just know this. I have a short amount of time in my kids' lives to pour as much as I can into them. We do it at our house. We do it through our church. And I just got to tell you, I'm grateful for my wife, who today is working in, in our preschool area. But she goes to work every week and doesn't come home with a paycheck so my kids can go to Christian education. And we do that because of this. I am calling out my children to be ambassadors of Christ. I could care less if they get scholarships to go to Harvard and Yale or if they get volleyball or football scholarships when they graduate out. I could care less. But what I won't sacrifice is their spiritual walk with Jesus. I will die for that. But they should very well see their dad sacrifice for his own 
They should see me in the trenches praying deeply, serving richly, and giving everything I've got for the kingdom. And if they don't, I should not expect for them to grow up to be men and women after God's heart. I will show them. But to do that, I've got to show that my walk is full force. And so I'm pleading with you. As a pastor's kid that did not like church, growing up now to lead one, we need each other to go full force after Jesus. I need you. You need me to go full force after Jesus. To not hold back, to not waste our gifts, but to go full force. Because my kids need to see women who live after Jesus so they can model after you. Men, my son needs to see men of Jesus rise up and pursue him. They need to see us worship deeply in this room. To not just go through the motions, but to really pursue him. You know why? Is it's that long and they're all going to be grown. That long and their lives are going to be out of this church and in other towns. We need to show up today to not wait any longer to worship Jesus deeply, to go after him full force. Today is our day. No longer waiting. Don't wait to pursue Jesus when you've got it all put together. I promise you he'll wreck you to make you pursue him now. I want to pursue Jesus with all I've got so that your kids see a pastor that burns brightly and not some guy that just fills a pulpit. May we see that the church needs to begin now. We don't need to wait any longer. We don't need to wait for a revival service. This is the service. This is the revival. This is the renewal. It starts now. We're not going to wait any longer. We're going to pursue love and we're going to show a lost world that we are passionate for Jesus. If our hearts don't beat fast for him, let me just tell you something. You don't have him. If being encouraged to pursue him isn't what we do, let me just tell you, we're going to see a lost world get larger and larger. Our city's growing. It's about to really grow. They're putting industry into our city. They're building the mega loop. We're going to see our city grow, which means this, the harvest is getting bigger. May we pursue people because we love them. We love them. And if we don't love them, may we be broken because we don't. If we don't love a lost world so deeply, we will love ourselves so deeply, we will forget about them. How rich the Father's love for us, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't just live a normal existence, but they would have eternal life. If you don't have eternal life, I want you to know two things. I love you. I prayed over every pew in this place this morning. But I just got to tell you, my love for you is so short compared to the massive love of God who gave his son for you. He loves you so deeply. And he wouldn't have you live another moment without Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today is your day. Don't leave this room without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are a follower of Jesus, I pray that you feel something stir in your soul to pursue people with the love of Christ. That you wouldn't leave this room without an insatiable desire to share your faith. 
and that we would never be complacent again in sharing Jesus with all those around us because the end result is this. Even though hardship comes, even though we feel the deepness and the crushing weight of this world's burdens, the goal of the church is being, of being great is this, is to seek people over preference. May we lose our preference. May we lose our way for his way and pursue people with him. That is Romans 12. God, may you speak to us deeply today. May we grow a passion for you and may we never be the same. God, we need you. But Lord, may we grow a full dependence upon you. Lord, we claim a need, but we fill all the holes in our lives with us. So when we say we need you, we don't. We, we have fulfilled ourselves, but God, may you show the greatest needs that we really have. God, may we see our desperate need of a Savior. And may we share him with all of those around us. Lord, help us to fall in love with our city. Lord, help us to fall in love with Amarillo in such a way that we would be heartbroken to drive across this town without a stirring desire to share Christ. May we never stop at a lot again without looking at the faces around us in cars and seeing people that we don't know for certain will spend an eternity separated from you or an eternity with you. And may our hearts break for the fact that we don't know. God, you are good. And you have given us so much. God, if you've given us nothing else, you've given us a way through Jesus. And that's enough. So God, may we return back to you our lives, holy and pleasing to you, using the gifts you've given us and showing a lost world what the true love of God really looks like. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Dale and I are going to be up front. We would love to visit with you about Jesus. I want you to know two things. If you don't hear anything else from me, it's this. You are loved, and you are loved by God. I hope that today you will know his love. As we sing, you come.